Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Riding the Storm Out. I am Paul Blair and this is Dan Fisher who still has laryngitis. Thank you Lord, you still <laughs> answer prayer. And we are bringing you another edition of Riding the Storm Out. Of course we are pastors, we work together, been friends for many years yep. and have worked together for the last several here at Fairview Baptist Church. And every week we bring you a biblical perspective on current cultural issues. And of course the thing that has swept the world over the last couple of years has been in this COVID pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And we have had the blessing of being becoming friends with a couple of uh, local research scientists that have taken it upon themselves. And by the way, this research is not gonna enhance their career. As a matter of oh. fact, it no, it's not could gonna help them. very much cost them much of their career. Most likely it will. But they are compelled yeah. to be purveyors of truth. Yeah. And they have researched and read all of the studies, not just the summaries, but they've gone through the studies from every country around the world to bring us a synopsis of what the truth really is. So the vaccine safety and failure to protect. We have unprecedented secrecy, unprecedented lack of sterilizing immunity, unprecedented adverse effects, and right in the middle are our kids or us, you know? Um, so what's a vaccine? A vaccine is an injection. It must give you antibody immunity to a virus or bacterium. It doesn't give you an antibody to the virus, SARS-CoV-2. It gives you an antibody to the spike, which is not unique to SARS-CoV-2. Why do you think there's so many breakthrough infections? Why do you think the high vax rates, you have high caseloads? It doesn't give you immunity to SARS-CoV-2. The antibody must give you protection from the virus or bacterium. No. The injection must show that it reduces hospitalization, deaths, or severe symptoms. No. More people are dying fully vaxxed in countries that we can get data from than the unvaxxed. The injection must show it stops a person from carrying that virus or bacterium. No. In fact, a person who's vaccinated might have higher viral load than someone who's unvaccinated. And people that are vaccinated are spinning off the variants at a higher, hotter rate that are coming back out into the community and getting more people sick. So people that are vaccinated are getting sick multiple times. The injection must show that it stops the transmission from one person to the next of that virus or bacterium. No. Why do you think the CDC recommended that all vaccinated people continue to wear masks, even though masks don't work? But, so, Oh, and one more thing, I don't know if you know this, but the FDA asked the court for 55 years to fully release their Pfizer data. Right, I'll be 100. <laughs> so, too late by then. Okay, so, evolving definition of vaccine. Did you know that the alphabet companies changed the vaccine definition three times? They changed it from injection of a killed or weakened infection organism in, or in order to prevent the disease to the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to the disease to just recently the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce protection from a specific disease. I don't even think this vaccine does that. However, you should be aware that they keep changing definitions, which makes it really difficult for us to keep collecting data because they change it all the time. We put pictures of flip-flops because that's important. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And, and so just so you know, I mean, I just had to go through a vaccine mandate at work and submit a religious exemption um, and help a lot of people do that. And I keep telling people that I work with, you know, they made you take the, the vaccine and they're going to make you keep taking the booster. Now, no, 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 that's not the definition. Yes, it is. Today it is. 
So, in general, two weeks after the second dose or two-dose series, you're fully vaccinated, or a two, dose, two, two weeks after a single-dose vaccine. Well, today, the CDC now recommends that everyone ages 18 and older get a COVID-19 booster shot. Fauci said just last week, fully vaccinated doesn't have to include booster shots. Then he said, Fauci says, booster might become new standard of being vaccinated. And then they say, CDC now says all adults should get COVID booster shots amid Omicron fears. So, remember, once you comply, you got to keep going. Oh. So you want to talk about the, uh, the whistleblower? <laughs> I didn't. I, I love them. I put all these memes in. He's never seen them before. <laughs> yeah, she put these memes in. I wasn't a part of them. I love it, though. Okay. Um, so this study actually came out on November 2nd. And this was looking at the phase three clinical trials of the Pfizer vaccine. And basically, we had a whistleblower come out that, that raised questions, substantial questions. Clearly, that's a very courageous person. And basically said that the data within those trials was fraudulent. Uh, the individuals that were trained to administer the vaccines weren't trained appropriately. Uh, so there's a lot of information there. Um, and that was in the British Medical Journal. And again, a lot of this data is coming from overseas because we don't have as much access to it in the United States, and our data sets here are more difficult to analyze because of the constant changes um, that exist there. But I think that's important. The, the next day, actually, on November 3rd, uh, there was a study that came out also that looked at pregnancy um, and basically giving vaccinations to pregnant women, and um, the recommendation was that that would stop immediately. And it's interesting to even think about the fact that we gave an emergency author use authorization vaccination to pregnant women and children before we even know what the acute, subacute, and long-term consequences of that vaccine are. Um, many other ones that have been used historically have been uh, studied pretty extensively before they're released actually out to the public, so. Yep. And the trials don't end until, some of the trials don't end until 2024. And yet here we are injecting those populations. So, Eric, you want to talk about this one? Sure. So adverse effects. Uh, Dr. Artis, if you guys do not follow uh, Dr. Artis, he has a pretty good story about how he's gotten uh, engaged in this conversation. But basically, he found on October 22nd of 2020, um, the FDA was in a meeting there with the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, and they reported those adverse events or effects from the vaccine trials that they knew to exist. And the image actually below that, what are the risks? That was what was given to you when you went to take the vaccine. And you can see um, Guillain-Barre myelitis, stroke, um, anaphylaxis, death. Death was actually listed. Um, those are a little different than muscle pain, chills, and joint pain. And so the point of that is, is that they knew the side effects of the vaccines before they even released them to the public, and what they gave the public was different than what they were listing as the vaccine adverse side effects. Um, within this document, too, you know, individuals that have been vaccinated, um, oftentimes I ask them to bring me everything they have because I want to read through it. Um, it actually, when we talk about the vaccine definitions within that initially, it said it would provide protection from even getting the virus, and they've actually changed that now. Um, and so it's pretty disheartening to read some of those changes that exist within the paperwork. But that one's a big deal, and there's plenty of information to um, show what they're talking about there. So um, 
the VARES database. Uh, show of hands, how many have heard of the VARES database? Yes, yeah, so quite a few in here. Um, basically, that's the place that in the United States you can go for vaccine adverse effects. It's self-reported. Um, it's kind of our avenue as individuals if we went in to get vaccinated where we can report some of those symptoms and side effects. And so 1990, that system was put into place. And the graph there is vaccine reports of deaths by days and onsets of all ages. And you can see the years prior and then what's kind of happening now in 2020 and 2021. We have a pretty big spike there, which is very concerning. Um, if you look, give some context there, there's hundreds of millions of doses of vaccines that are given annually, and there's 70 plus vaccines that are given to individuals in those prior years of data, so you know, 2019 back, uh, that are pretty important to start comparing to. And so this is deaths reported, um, reported deaths by vaccine type, and so um, diphtheria clearly having the most adverse effect, but you could see where COVID-19 is at now. They actually released this weekly, so I'd encourage you to keep an eye on it um, as we get more data, as more people tend to be reporting. One of the issues with this database is what is the validity and reliability of those self-reporting. Um, I've read studies that say anything of a factor of eight um, in under-reporting to only 1% of the population reporting. You may have had loved ones that have had adverse effects whether it's autoimmune um, manifestations or some more serious paralysis, um, strokes, heart attacks that you know, were perfectly healthy prior, um, those, uh, that information may not even be within this database. And so if you're at a factor of you know, eight times the amount and we're at 19,000 deaths in the United States, uh, you can do some simple math. That could be you know, 155,000 deaths actually. Um, and the interesting part of that is in 1976, you had five people killed from a swine flu immunization and they stopped it. And so I'm not sure why we haven't stopped it at that number. Um, and now a lot of individuals will say, well, that's self-reported and you don't know if they're telling the truth. And my point is, well, if you stopped it for five in 1976, um, there's at least five that aren't lying. And so let's take a look at the information and be honest with ourselves. There's multiple databases that also exist there. And I want to go back here because there's a point to make. But we know that fully vaccinated is within that 14-day window, right, of your second dose. And if that's the case, and these reports are going in on day 0, 1, 2, right, and that's the death report, that means basically that 80% of those vaccine adverse events are actually categorized as unvaccinated. And the truth is they may have had one shot, they may have had both shots and been on day three after that, we don't really know, mm -hmm. but that's pretty in important information to look at. And again, it's in the nuances of the details of the data and the wording and the select choice of wording. And it, you just have to really critically think about it and, and the importance of it. So. Um, on that slide there, the UDRA vigilance, which I'll let Dr. Strato talk to, but 31,000 uh, dead in Europe's database. And there's a larger database called uh, Vigia Access, which is the World Health Organization's database. And I think they're up to 2.4 million reported adverse effects worldwide um, from the vaccines. And it's just important that this information is getting out to individuals and that they realize um, what we're dealing with uh, as far as you know, the impact of, of the vaccines.
And why haven't we had a safety report from the CDC, the FDA, the NIAID, the NIH? Where's the safety report? Not one. Why isn't someone coming on TV and saying, oh, well, we know we have 20,000 reported deaths, but it means this. No one says anything. And so that's really, really concerning. Oh, you can go ahead. So in the orange graph is 2021 cardiac events. In the blue is 2019. Why is this the year of cardiac events? What could be possibly causing healthy young men, 18 to 29, elite athletes all over the world dropping dead on the field from cardiac events. I mean, can you, is there anything else other than the vaccine that we can think of? I mean, sure, some people do every day, but the excess amount of this year is, is outstanding, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, if, in case the myo and pericarditis cases post C19 vaccine up at the top, you see the age range here, the flu cases. So look, after the flu vaccines, you got 16. After the C19 cases in seven months, you have almost 700. 20 years, 16, seven months, 700. Is there a problem? There's a problem. And we, we keep giving the full spike vaccine. So just so you know, cardiac events are on the rise. If you know anyone that's been vaccinated complaining of chest pain, get them to a doctor because it could be from that vaccine. Um, go ahead. That's a comparison basically looking at the World Health Organization. They put out flu vaccines and COVID-19, basically um, the cardiac events that exist. And over the weekend, um, over Thanksgiving break, right now, you know, again, looking at soccer worldwide, but 108 registered players and coaches have died in the past six months. And those are elite athletes. Uh, we've had 22-year-olds on the field that just collapse. Uh, there was a Denmark soccer player, Ericsson, that he was 29 years old, an elite athlete, in great shape. Um, there's other, it's, it, it seems to me that there's a correlation between endurance type sports mm -hmm. and, and there's some causation there. So there was a deep um, dive um, individual that was world renowned. He's actually documenting all of it on his Instagram if you want to follow kind of his case scenario. So this is an individual that was at 40 meters holding his breath that can't go to eight meters. Um, after receiving the vaccine, and he was the world's greatest uh, deep diver. So there's a lot of cyclists that have been professionals that have dropped out. There's NBA players um, that have had heart issues that are problematic. Um, and so we really need to start looking at this um, and having a conversation about how that's impacting them. And other countries have figured it out and stopped the vaccines for under 30. They've stopped Moderna under 30. They've stopped them for children after 16. Uh, Africa refused them. Yeah, some. Some of Africa. Yeah. The so. Why? Why do other countries? They're deciding they're not going to vaccinate yet. We're pushing this on five-year-olds in the United States to go to school, to, do, to take part in society. Um, so you have to understand that the cardiac events are serious and they're real. Um, and so we need, we need to talk about this. Uh, there is the risk of cardiac adverse events in child adolescence is one in 5,000. 
Uh, you can read this paper when you have a chance, but this is a study from the Providence Healthcare System that over 2019, they saw about this many cases. 2020, they saw this many cases. Now, all of a sudden, in 2021, they're up. And now, this is only through May. That's when the paper was written. But they keep going up and up and up. And so, we're not sure. We saw a, an article the other day that said the increased rate in cardiac events in children is due to climate change. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. How? There, I, I, I mean, how? Too, there's a, a great um, Dr. Dr. Toby Rogers that is publishing a lot of data too, looking specifically at children. Um, and one of the most concerning is there's a number needed to vaccinate that's always calculated by pharmaceutical companies in order to justify that you would save X amount of lives if you vaccinate X or you know Y amount of individuals. And it was pretty disheartening to read, but his analysis, and I think he's a pretty bright guy given the credentials, was for every one child that we vaccinate, uh, for every one child that we save their life, uh, we'll actually kill 114 from adverse reactions. And that's a, that was the number needed to vaccinate number that he came up with, which is really devastating. Um, and you don't see it discussed uh, openly. This individual is certainly publishing the information, but, um, and we'll link to some of the, the information from him. Yeah, and this was a study that came out with 1.6 million people in Sweden. I'm sure you, some of you have probably seen this study. It wasn't in mainstream media, but you know, all the scientists who were following this were like, yeah, we, we knew this. So this shows you the vaccine effectiveness, and this is days since full vaccination, and you can see the effectiveness against infection goes to zero by seven months, and you actually get into the negative range, which means that you are more susceptible to a COVID infection than someone who was not, um, not vaccinated. And then, okay, so the people say, yeah, but you still get infected, but you're not gonna go to the hospital. No. This is vaccine effectiveness, severe infection versus days, and effectiveness against serious disease, they say, goes to about 23% by seven months. So that's why you're seeing so much vaccine failure right around that four to six month period, and so many breakthrough cases. And so we encourage you to go back through this study and, and read that as well. And just for some perspective, I drew a little... Um, Unbelievable. I, I drew a little thing for you. Uh, cases per one million people and a population fully vaccinated. If the vaccine worked, your cases should drop with increasing vaccination rate. Think measles, uh, whatever else you want to think about. And then here's the cases per million and here's population fully vaccinated. This is all over the world. This is just from a database. This is what's actually happening. The, the f more you're fully vaccinated, the more cases you're getting. And this is Israel up here, the most vaccinated country in the world. Where are they on number five, booster number five? And they actually have a, a social cred that you have to get that vaccine to do anything. So if you don't get it, you don't participate in society. If it worked, it does this, but it's doing this. This is Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oh, from when we started in March till today, well, a little bit before today, you can see in August 30th of 2020, no vaccinations. We had about 1,100 daily cases. On August 30th, 2021, when what were we, 55% vaccinated, we had 2,800 cases. Now, COVID is seasonal. It's gonna go up and it's gonna go down. It's gonna do what viruses do, go up, go down. But if we had all this vaccination and it worked, our caseload, would most likely be less, right? So, um, this is our peak from last year. 
we're already starting right there, so we're, we're watching to see if we're going to be higher than that. But just know that, that it is seasonal, and you'll see that throughout. November 19, 2020, on the top, no vaccination. November 19, 2021, vaccinated 69.4% nationwide. What's different about this? COVID deaths, 20,000 in 2020. COVID deaths in 2021, 21,700. We haven't done anything with the vaccine. It's not helped at all. Now, we are doing other things incorrectly, like not treating early and, and doing things like that, but um, the vaccination on a whole is not, is not working. United Kingdom. I encourage you to check out these, these websites because the UK is doing it right, even though they are totally trying to obfuscate and drive me crazy with changing the formatting of their tables every week, moving it to a different link, changing everything. But we managed to find this week's, or last week's uh, data, and you can see in the black, vaccinated, not vaccinated. This is the rate per 100,000, and this is an age bin. In the range of 40 to 49, the vaccinated have 117% more cases than the unvaxxed. In the 50 to 59 range, 104% more. Okay, so in, in this case, this under 18, this is probably like this because not a lot of them are vaccinated because they stopped their vaccination program for the, the kids. Um, but so obviously, just because you got vaccinated doesn't mean you're not going to get it. And then I think the scariest thing for me when I look at this is the case fatality rate. When you have variants that spin off alpha, then we had delta. Delta was supposed to be less virulent, right? Less deadly. Now, Omicron hopefully is less deadly. It started out that way, but because of vaccine-mediated evolution, where the variant would come into the vaccinated, spin off into a hotter strain, look what happened. So here we have case fatality rate over time. The orange is the unvaccinated, the blue is the vaccinated, and this green line is just showing you the percentage of vaccination. So it went from 45% to about 65% vaccinated. Right here, they, they changed the data on me. They changed the data, so I don't know if this is just the data, problem with the data or that's a real trend, but first of all, you should notice what? that the vaccinated are dying at a higher rate than the unvaccinated. The second, the second thing you should note is that the line goes up. It's the opposite way. It should go down. It started with a case fatality rate right around the flu, 0.2%. And then it went all the way up to almost 0.7. And then it started to come back down now. And the, and the unvaccinated, it went up at the same rate, which is why they think it's um, vaccine-mediated evolution. Then for some reason it dropped, and that could be the data, like I said. And then it's starting to come back up again in unvaccinated, but the unvaccinated are pretty low, case fatality rate, where the, un where the vaccinated are high. That's not what is supposed to happen in nature. It's supposed to go the other way. Um, and then you can see the raw numbers. This is age group again, the number, vaccinated. Look at how high those vaccinated rates are over the unvaccinated. You can check this data out yourself on those links if you'd like. Sure. Uh, we have a lot of graphs, right? We do have a lot of yeah. graphs. So if we're just looking at other nations in the world, uh, the UK and Israel, we basically plotted out vaccination rates, the percentage that they have there, the US, 
where we're currently at and then looking at India again. Um, and you can see that similar trend, but there also seems to be a correlation be between the more you vaccinate or boost, the higher your case rate and the higher the spike you're going to get, as opposed to let's go to a therapeutic option, stop going with the vaccinations, and then everything drops elsewhere. And India is that prime example, as we discussed with Uttar Pradesh and um, Kerala as kind of a case study uh, mm -hmm. where they've been successful. Uh, the, Indi the Indian government's actually suing the World Health Organization, so there's actually cases um, that are present. Yeah, so that's a positive. Um, and, and kind of looking back to even with the PCR test, there was a case uh, in Spain, I think, that basically found, you know, when travelers <coughs> were going there and getting PCR tested, there was some travelers from Germany that couldn't get back home. Uh, because they were taking PCRs and they were getting positives, but they never had a physician or anybody meet with them to look at their symptoms, et cetera, and the uh, court system there actually wrote a, uh, a, a ruling that talked about the issues with the PCR tests and how they're determining the cases there. So there are some uh, wheels starting to turn and some uh, momentum that's moving forward, I think. But, you know, just looking at that, and, and I think Israel, as the prime example, um, sadly, you know, going into their fifth booster and they keep boosting and boosting, they keep getting spikes. Um, and, that are and, higher. Yeah. yeah, and they're higher spikes. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's part of the conversation about that viral media evolution. Yeah, and just the next few slides are just to show you that this happens all over the world. So Gibraltar is 99% vaccinated. They have a huge spike. Now it's seasonal, right? But if they're 99% vaccinated, why is their spike so much higher than last season? And then Singapore, you can see, was pretty much nothing. Then they got 80% of their population vaccinated. Now here comes their season. It went crazy. So high vax equals high caseload. This is the least versus most vaccinated countries. You can see vaccinated dose up here above 80. The United States is at 67. These are COVID deaths per million. Over here, very low vaccinated rate. Not very many people are dying per million. Why is the United States so much higher? We're probably unhealthier. We don't treat early enough. Um, we test with PCR. We test with PCR. More. Yeah. We do a lot of things wrong. From, we also use remdesivir, yes. Um, this is just a, a 10 most vaccinated states. Vermont, I'll show you a picture in a little bit, 800% over year-over-year -year change in daily cases. And this was um, normalized by testing. So it's, there's no testing anomalies in here. So Vermont, 800%, and they're over 90% vaccinated, whereas all these people, all these states right in here, these 10 states, less than 40% vaccinated. They're not really seeing those huge seasonal spikes. Here's Vermont. Hospitalizations are up over 214% from this date last year with four to six weeks left in their spike, right? They're not, they, haven't, they, haven't made it, they haven't made it up to here yet. So we're already at 214%. We're letting go healthcare providers who refuse the um, vaccine because of the mandates. So we're, we're down beds, we're down, we're down hospitalization staff, and yet we're going into the biggest peak in the Northeast in the season. When people tell you that it's the, or the pandemic of the unvaccinated, that's not true. In September, 76% of Vermont's COVID deaths were fully vaccinated. That's the same. I could show you 50 states where that, is, where that is the case. This is Oklahoma data. 
when you're looking for Oklahoma data back home, I'll tell you that the Oklahoma Health Department has some missing data. They were providing you vaccine breakthrough cases and hospitalizations and deaths of fully vaccinated. But all of a sudden, in the middle of October, they stopped. And they still have not picked that back up. So you should ask your elected officials, why are they not reporting that data for you to make an informed consent decision? Um, hospitalization. There was a large study of 20 million people in the Medicare and Medicaid system over the age of 65. They found that, contrary to popular belief, that more than 60% of those hospitalized with COVID were fully vaccinated. As of, uh, this was back in uh, August of here. So we are at a trajectory where now there's more hospitalizations and deaths within the vaccinated population uh, than there is in the unvaccinated population, which is unfortunate because that's what you're what's supposed to, you're supposed to be helped by that. This is just another table for you to ask some of your elected officials. When Oklahoma presents you the hospitalizations and you see it on the ticker if you watch the news, and they say, oh, there's a thousand COVID hospitalizations. Okay, that's for everybody. If you go in to give, a, give birth to a child, you have to, it's automatically required that you have to be tested for COVID. So even if you're in there and you get a, a false positive PCR test, you're counted as a hospitalization. If you go in for a routine tonsillectomy or you go in for something, not COVID, and you test positive, you're counted in this. This is not severe cases. So I wanna know, and we asked the health department this three weeks ago when they couldn't tell us, what is the number of people admitted for severe COVID cases, for example, with an oxygen level below 94%? I think we, the people, should know that. It's not about hospitalizations with COVID. It's about who the serious case is, because that's really all I care about. I don't really care about someone. If I go in and I test positive, it's false positive. Why do I want to be counted in that number? Um, so we need to ask those questions and get, those, get the right data. And just, I'm sure you knew this, but did you know that we have more deaths in 2021 than we did in 2020? So again, what are we doing? Um, I think we should talk about excess deaths, and Eric, jump in whenever you want, but excess deaths are deaths above where the average of the last five years would be. And why are we having excess deaths of all causes, in all countries? Is it because we didn't get treated for things when we were in lockdown? We didn't go and get screened for cancers and screened for health tests? Um, is it a combination of that and the fact that the vaccines are increasing cancers across the board by 20%, uh, they say? Um, what's happening? So this is just a, a figure from Scotland that shows you the excess deaths in the blue above the baseline gray. And they've been running about 11% above average for this um, for this time of year. And just so you know, 87% of Scotland's July through September deaths were fully vaccinated. The other thing I would say about the vaccines themselves that people, I mean, I've yet to have anybody be able to answer is what are the ingredients within it? And the reason that matters is when you're in a, 
you know, university setting or you're in a research setting and you want to do any type of study on the general public, if we're at university, we have to go through an institutional review board. They look at everything that you're doing in the study. If you want to talk to, you know, 25-year-olds about their love of baseball, that's great. But if you want to hand them chocolate, they want to know every single ingredient that's within that chocolate before you go out yeah. and do that research study. And with the emergency use authorization, nobody actually knows what all the ingredients in the vaccines are. And how could you then give informed consent to actually participate in that if you don't know what they are and they're not disclosed to you? And from an ethical standpoint, that's something that a lot of people should be having a conversation about because we've done these types of social experiments before on individuals and, and subsets of populations and they've been disastrous. And so now we're in a global situation where everybody's participating in this, but nobody can tell anyone what all is in the actual vaccine. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're a physician or a nurse or something, I, to me, I would think that would be a basic, like I wanna know before I give this to my patient. I think that's super important. Um, and so my hope is that maybe we'll figure out at some point, but a lot of that documentation's been blanked out um, and withheld, uh, I think about 20% of the mm -hmm. ingredients have been withheld from the general public. And so yeah. we don't really know what it is. Yeah. yeah, and this is just our last figure to show you closer to home what our Oklahoma excess mortality has been through this. So we're on the bottom, the United States is on the top. And you can see that back in September we were at 50% higher deaths, all cause, than we thought we were going to be. And now we're about 15%, and the United States is running about 24%. So number one, let's get healthy. Let's get our natural immunity. Let's get our early treatment. Um, and, and stay strong on, on the vaccine um, and, and understand what it is before you make any kind of decision like that. And so we, we wanted to finish with some conclusions. We can, or we can skip it. Your Summer, choice. Summer, summarize. Summarize it. We yeah, have a so lot of stuff. There's your survivability stuff. rate is pretty high for this virus uh, with the 99.998%, especially with children um, ages 0 to 17. And th that is actually even um, a higher percentage if you, if you break it down using some of the CDC data. But like we're saying, when that excess deaths is high across the board in Oklahoma, up 15%, what we're not talking about is the mental impact of this on our communities. The psychological, that psychological and mental side of things, the economic impact of it, uh, why our public policy decisions have been what they've been, especially now that we're two years in. Um, at this point, if you aren't willing to try something else to try to stop uh, what we're doing, I think it is the definition of insanity, right? Yeah. Is that you repeat doing the same things over and over again and try to get a different result. And that's not moving the needle in the right direction at this point. Um, the PCR tests, again, I would ask individuals if you're going to participate in taking those, I think it's important that our medical field realizes what the cycle threshold is, how that test is used. Um, physicians, doctors, nurses, et cetera, know the analytical value of it. But when you go in and you ask them, um, you should ask what the cycle threshold is they're going to spin that at if, if you're gonna participate in it. Um, when, the, when the inventor of the medication and or Nobel Prize winners uh, of the tests themselves, Dr. Mullis tells us it can't be used as a diagnostic. You probably would trust that scientist. Uh, that's the same for Dr. Amira, who basically invented or found ivermectin as a wild bacteria. You know, he was censored on YouTube and some other platforms for speaking out against it. 
uh, against its use and its clinical value um, to treat patients. Uh, when you're censoring the Nobel Prize winner from talking about a, um, a medication or a, a prescription that could save millions upon millions of lives, as we see in Uttar Pradesh, who has basically gotten rid of it, mm -hmm. it's just incredibly disturbing. Um, and then masks, again, you know, that, that is, all of these topics are highly political. Um, and, and I think one of the things I would say is trying to reach across the aisle to have a conversation with them so their eyes are open because it's going to impact all of us. Um, as Dr. Serrato pointed out with the UK data, when your vaccination and unvaccinated death rates are starting to increase, uh, the truth is we're in it together. And so if we aren't able to bridge the gap and, and change the narrative a little bit, it can continue to get worse and, and manifest itself there. Yeah. So therapeutic interventions, we all need to know about these. We need to have them on our shelves. We need to know where to go to get them. And they're important for everybody because as you saw, the vaccinated are just as likely to get another bout with COVID as someone who's unvaccinated without having first had that disease. When you're naturally immune, you don't really have to worry about this. Um, and convalescent natural immunity is, is superior. We have more robust antibodies, T cell, B cells. Our adaptive immune system is wonderful. Uh, we were born with it and we have to keep it strong and healthy so it can fight off all those viruses. We don't want to synthetically alter it at any, at any rate. Um, the vaccines and VAERS and the eudrovigilance and all of the other sites that are collecting this adverse events the, the staggering amounts that are on these sites should give us cause for pause and should make the alphabet companies, I think, send out some safety reports and tell us what the heck is going on because they're too high compared to all the other vaccines. Um, and I think one of the most concerning things that when I found out was that they knew about the adverse effects before they even started vaccinating the population and didn't tell us. So. If informed consent is important to you, then this should be a, a big, you should have a big problem with that. Yeah, I mean, the truth is it's the largest uh, human science experiment ever conducted. We've, we've really never, we don't have any clinical data on mRNA technologies used in a vaccine on humans. Uh, we do have some with animal studies, but there's very little evidence out there um, in looking at it. Uh, the full spike protein is one of the conversations that we were talking about. Just the idea that they use the full spike proteins. There, there's a lot of other options. I think 34 other yeah. options that they could have used that, uh, to put out in the vaccine itself, but they chose uh, the full spike protein as opposed to a partial, et cetera, which may have that uh, connection with the heart issues and some of those adverse effects. And then just the correlations that are there, higher vaccine rates, higher case rates. Uh, Vermont, New York, UK, Scotland, India, uh, Israel, looking at those kind of comparisons there. And then the, that DOD leak document with um, the hospitalizations of the vaccinated. Uh, Thomas Rents is an attorney that's fighting this uh, tooth and nail, and so he actually had that information put into his court case, uh, which I think he'll be successful on. And then, you know, all the mortalities up ar across the globe, you know, the excess deaths that exist. So. And, and we really do think that we need to collect, this is, you know, hopefully it's just once in a lifetime, but what all, all the scientific data that we have that we're obfuscating and, and falsifying, we should be, this should be just a,
plethora of awesome data to collect, and we are doing none of it. We are trying to censor everything, and, and so we need to ask our health officials to make sure that they're reporting accurate data, not fear-mongering with their data, which I think happens too much. And when we talk to the legislators in the room over the last three months, we've put up some ideas that we think they should think about. And first of all, they need to protect the, protect the physicians who are saving, trying to save our lives, right? <laughs> Secondly, we need to have employee and employer protections. The, as someone who's, yeah, yeah. As someone who has gone through a vaccine mandate, I can tell you that I'm, I don't even know why it's a thing. They should just leave us alone, and it should be a decision between you and your doctor. That's, that's all. And the, the point, too, I'd make about that is whether you think it's going to impact you or not, uh, it does. So just her place of employment, putting in a mandate and requiring you know, a, a bunch of individuals to go through that, and maybe you lose 40% of them, well then what does that look like in your local community when you have 40% of those individuals walk away? They're not making income, they're not going to your businesses, they're not coming to different events. It, it changes everything, so it will impact you mm -hmm. um, through the actions of other entities and organizations, which is why you have to start having the conversation with people uh, to get protections out there for everybody to make these decisions. And we really do think we need to open up early treatment centers in the state. In fact, they're doing pop-up vaccination tents on school campuses, right, around the state. Why don't we have an early treatment center or informational system set up right next door so we can give out information when the parents are coming and say, hey, what about this? Did you think about this? Here's your informed consent. Did you know that the vaccines do this? We need, we need volunteers uh, that would be willing to do that because I think a lot of people have already made up their mind and they don't see this kind of information and so they only see one thing and they're, they're headed towards that tent to and make a decision that will impact them for the rest of their lives. One of the points there too is through our public school systems, uh, the way that the CARES Act money was funded through our elementary and principal associations that exist is if they don't, if schools aren't complying with CDC recommendations, they can lose those funds. There's a lot of money tied to it and so that's why these school campuses are having them set up um, but I think it's important as parents and as communities that are smaller scale that you start to say, hey, you know, what are we doing and why, why are we doing this? Um, and if it's tied to money, you know, I always figure all of us can come together and make that work out uh, as opposed to it being dictated from, uh, we'll say, Washington, D.C. or elsewhere. Yeah. And as Eric said, we have to demand informed consent. We have to know what's in the vaccine before we can agree to put it in our bodies or not, and uh, we don't have that right now. And of course, we just said we need to delineate the definitions for accurate recording of information. You can't change the definitions in the middle of an experiment, right? It's the first thing you know as a researcher. You can't change the age groupings. You can't change the definition of the vaccine. You can't change the definition of herd immunity and expect that your data is going to tell you anything of use by the end of the experiment. And so that's been the craziest thing to watch happen. The, the protecting the children, clearly looking at the efficacy of even having a conversation about vaccinating 5 to 11-year-olds or 12 to 17-year-olds, they simply haven't been impacted by the virus, and them getting natural immunity from it is probably best. 
if your family is someone that's even considering that, what I would what we would recommend is that you go get a seroprevalence or an antigen test to show prior effect infection because if you've had prior infection, you should not take that vaccine because as we show with the S protein and the N proteins, <laughs> they have a interaction there. And there is an actual video, Japanese, research actually, Japanese researchers actually have video inside the body of those killer T cells being hacked by those spike proteins, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Oh, oh. Th this one, panel of medical yeah. experts. I, I think for probably both of us, you know, we have institutions, uh, academic freedom, all of these venues uh, in the state, and we've yet to see any of them have a debate about the science behind um, vaccinating versus not vaccinating, mass versus unmasked. And as a general public, it's probably advantageous for all of us to support at least having that dialogue. Our recommendation is that we have a state independent medical experts group that's put together that can communicate to the Oklahoma public about what's actually happening in our state, looking at all the data and information because um, having all from the same group just in there making these decisions for everybody else uh, kind of lacks that diversity of thought. And so it's important to get them in the room and let them hash it out. And if science is on the side of one, then we go with it. Uh, but making that public and accessible to everybody. Um, I know we love watching you know, Saturday football games. Uh, some of us would actually turn on watching a debate like that to be informed as, as public citizens. So I think it'd be important. And I think we need to take a stand at the state and ban all um, vaccine mandates and passports and, and have our elected officials come out strong against that, for sure. And it's important to remember who's exempt um, from any mandates and our Congress, House and Senate are. So, you know, it doesn't apply to them, but it applies to everybody else, which I take issue with that. Um, USPS employees got kind of lumped in based off of a loophole, I think, that they're exempt because they didn't fall under OSHA, I don't think, uh, yeah. which is one of the stipulations there. And then I do think the Benjamin Rush quote is important because, interestingly, our founding fathers actually discussed medical freedoms. Um, and this is a prime example of how that be can become pretty tyrannical in a narrative where individuals aren't able to um, actually advocate for their, themselves or their families regarding what's best for them and their health. Uh, moving forward and so you know I would encourage you to uh, read that quote and let it and self-reflect a little bit on it um, but all of these recommendations it's also a quick pace this isn't something that we shouldn't be having conversations about tomorrow because as we're showing in the data if we're approaching our next spike right so we're, we're gonna need hospital staff we're gonna need to know how to treat them we have a few physicians in here that have probably successfully been doing it from the start uh, we need to let their voices be heard by the general public and recognize them for that courageousness, not only the courageousness, but for the fact that they're healing people and trying to get them back to life, um, which is hopefully a wonderful... Yeah, and uh, we'd like to tell you that, you know, all, everything that you've seen up here, we're, cha we're putting into chapters so you can read them, 15 to 20 page chapters, and they're on IgniteLiberty.net and they're called Pineapples on Mars because we were censored by Google when we started this. I'd send him something and say COVID-19 and he wouldn't get it. 
And then one night about 10 o'clock, I said, oh, the heck with it. Pineapples on Mars. And I sent it to him, and he actually got it. And so that's why we called it Pineapples on Mars, due to censorship. But we have chapters, introduction through chapters four. Our next chapter is five on therapeutics. It'll come out sometime this week. Chapter six is on natural immunity, and chapter seven is on vaccines. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get notification. And then all of this data is right there with your mouse click. You can click on it, print it out, and, and do whatever you need to do. Yeah. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week for our next edition of Riding the Storm Man.